0: welcome everybody to another episode of amplify your business today i am talking to amy blankson she is the ceo and co-founder of digital wellness institute and i just want to say that she's also the best-selling author of The Future of Happiness, which everybody wants to find some happiness in their lives and in their work. And so we're going to get into that a little bit probably as well. She's a member of the UN Global Happiness Council and a graduate of Harvard, as well as the Yale School of Management. And so I am just so excited to get into what Digital Wellness Institute is all about and what you're trying to accomplish there. So welcome to the show today, Amy.
1: Thank you so much, Lance. I'm happy to be here.
0: So before we get into that, though, I always want to find out from our entrepreneurs, what are three things that they think every other entrepreneur needs to know?
1: Three things that every other entrepreneur needs to know. Okay, here goes. Number one, you're going to make mistakes. Number two... You're going to get over it. And number three, in the meantime, you should learn anything and everything you can because you're going to need all of those skills along the way.
0: <laughs> I love it. That is really, really important in terms of like understanding that, yeah, mistakes are going to happen. There is not an entrepreneur, they not a person on this planet that doesn't make some sort of mistake. And I tell you, if I was judged, if my success was judged on the amount of mistakes that I've made in my entrepreneurial journey, um, I would have a giant F, that's for sure, because <laughs> there are so many. But I mean, those are the life lessons, the best lessons oftentimes, right? So um, just on that topic, what are some of the biggest mistakes that you feel that you've made in your entrepreneurial journey that you've had to overcome, I guess, and, and learn big lessons from?
1: I think Lancet... I tend to be an optimist. I am a positive psychology researcher and speaker. So this comes naturally to me. I like to see the bright side of everything, and I have a hard time seeing the potential risks or downside. And so one of my learning lessons over time is the importance of surrounding myself with advisors who will tell me what those risks are, what the pitfalls might be. And they'll give it to me straight and tell me when I'm not doing something right. And I know as an individual and as a leader, I need those voices around me. So. I found particularly when it comes to equity situations that um, I'm generally looking for the win-win. And sometimes it's very hard to find the win-win. They always say the best negotiations are those where everyone walks away slightly dissatisfied. And that's very hard as an optimist. So I'm trying to learn from that and continue to hold true to who I am, but also find some great advisors too.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's, it's so interesting that you say that, that you you are really just built on optimism because I suffer from something similar in the sense where, and I've mentioned this many, many times, we're going to get into the financing part of your business and stuff and, and a little discussion later on. Uh, but I always say that I would make the worst VC, venture capitalist, because <laughs> every business that I ever talk to uh, and they're telling me what they're doing and what problems they're trying to solve and that. And it's just like, Oh my God, this is so brilliant. Right. And I would be the <laughs> person that would just be like, take my money, take my money. Um, I don't know how I would ever be able to sort through and really pick the ones that are going to be the best <laughs> because I think everybody has a great idea. Well, clearly, um, that just that. means
1: that you're interviewing only the best and that they're all coming to you. So <laughs>
0: <laughs> clearly there yes. we go. Present company as well, right? So, okay, so let's get into what is it the Digital Wellness Institute is trying to solve. What are you guys doing? What's your purpose?
1: So, the Digital Wellness Institute exists to help organizations find a roadmap for finding that sweet spot between productivity and well-being in the digital era. We know that people are reaching for their phones at all hours of the day, from yeah. sunrise to sunset, and that that sense of always on hyperconnectivity is having a mental drain on our our lives personally but also our productivity at work our ability to communicate effectively and so what we're trying to solve for is that 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 problem is known. We know that leaders see the issue, they feel it keenly, but 87% of them don't know what to do about it. And so we come into an organization will help you think through um, what is your current digital culture? How do you measure it? How do you improve upon it? And how do you really rise up to become a thought leader in this space so that you can have one of the world's best cultures um, that att- attracts employees and, and retains them because they want to be at your organization?
0: Yeah, this is a topic that is just so timely and so fascinating because there's so much talk about, you know, the, the, the ills of social media. Uh, TikTok is getting, you know, beat up all the time in terms of just like how addictive it is. Uh, But also, you know, meta, uh, Facebook, Instagram, uh, you know, they've been in the crosshairs a lot as well. And, and just the impact that it has on youth, right? On kids, on our children is really been the focal point, I think, of a lot of the discussion. And so it's really, I think, interesting and refreshing to hear this discussion occur at more the uh, organizational level, at the business level, because, yeah, like our businesses are all run on people. And if those people are distracted, um, or if they are so, you know, glued to their screens is going to impact their sleeps. It's going to impact, um, you know, their moods and everything else that is going to have a detrimental impact on your business at the end of the day. Right. Because they're not going to be able to perform to the level that they could if they had a little bit more balanced approach, I guess.
1: You've got it. And when we're looking at young people and you think about screen time and device usage, a lot of times the conversation centers around irresponsibility. But when you're talking about adults and work, what I'm actually seeing is that there is an hyper responsibility, meaning that people are checking their phone 150 times a day, people check their email 38 times a day, they're responding within 15 minutes. And that means around the clock. That means that in global teams that people are getting up at crazy hours for Zoom calls, and this is commonplace now. So that has a long-term effect that has shaped and changed the way that we as society connect. And we all thought, oh, this is going to change back after the pandemic relaxes a little bit of the rules, or maybe there's a shift back to the office. But what we're finding is that screen time has increased 30%. And it stayed there and this idea of flexible work for many is becoming a long-term solution, which can be great, but it can also mean that we need to rethink the rules that we're playing by and also the boundaries that we as individuals have so that we can keep our sanity, we can keep our family time, we can have that interstitial space we need in between meetings to really be creative and get things done.
0: Now, you mentioned the pandemic there in terms of like things might return back to something a little bit more that resembled pre-pandemic times. So are you saying that the pandemic has really influenced it? And if so, how has the pandemic accelerated this issue?
1: So the pandemic accelerated the issue because within a month, companies were turning digital for the first time ever. And then they were... They figured out how to do it. And for many organizations globally and in different countries, those rules were in place for months, if not years. Uh, we're just now beginning to see some organizations shift back to pre-pandemic work styles, but we're seeing a lot of organizations who are selling off their commercial buildings and everyone's staying remote, or maybe you're only required to come into the office two or three days a week. I see a lot of organizations thinking about shifting to a four-day work week, and mm-hmm. each of these changes the dynamic of how we're connecting with one another and how we're thinking about how we use our time, our commute, all of those pieces play into our flow in the midst of the day and how we how we um, get a workout in, how we spend time with family, how we um, squeeze in time with, with loved ones or have meals with friends or, or coffee to connect during the day. So as we're thinking about those, I think we equally need to pay attention to not just how much time you're spending online. Um, I've recently shifted to saying, instead of thinking about how much time you're spending online, let's think about what you're doing when you're offline. Because Mm. I've seen some individuals, I did a a tech health survey a few years ago um, at Google. And I found that one of the healthiest individuals was the tech help desk uh, associate who spent 12 plus hours every day on multiple devices at the same exact time. And I looked back at the data and I was like, my survey must be flawed. There's got to be something wrong here. But I went to talk to him and he explained to me that he bikes five miles into work in the morning five miles home, of course, because he has to get home. He takes an hour long lunch break with no devices and always sits with somebody new. And on the weekend, he completely unplugs and works on vintage cars. And that's why he could handle it. So as an individual, he knew his personal boundaries and he knew how to balance knowing he had a lot of time on screens. Whereas if you're asking my mother who doesn't, she gets very stressed out by technology. So 30 minutes on her email, can be enough to throw her off for the rest of the day. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's a lot, right? So you have to know yourself, you have to know your tech capacity. Uh, People with ADD or ADHD really struggle with a lot of screen time. And then counterbalance with what you're doing offline to to make yourself really feel that sense of tech life balance.
0: So I'm curious because our audience is made up of entrepreneurs and, and business leaders. Is there any trends that you've noticed with that tier of individual that is unique or different than the rest of the sample?
1: Absolutely. So when we were going through the uh, TeleCSW Accelerator in Edmonton, yeah. we found that um, this conversation came up quite frequently founders themselves are on their devices more than almost any group I've encountered, including, you know, uh, tax, tax accountants during tax season. I mean, people are on their devices because there is this unique uh, vision that you want to accomplish and the pressure to do so in a certain amount of time and to be responsive because you are hustling to get things done. And so I would say that founders really feel a concentration of the pressure to be online and Uh, and on it constantly. Um, And so one of my passions is really speaking directly to founders about how do you restore yourself either in between meetings? How do you find that place where you can uh, either creatively restore or do something very uh, manual task-based to get away from devices just for a little bit and reset your brain? We're learning from the research of positive psychology that sometimes the um, the act of doing something very manual is one of the fastest ways to help your brain switch between tasks. And that can actually boost your productivity uh, as opposed to just working straight through and then burning out. I think the burnout rate for founders is close to 40%. So that's a massive issue um, in terms of finding success as a leader.
0: Yeah, yeah, completely. And and I mean, I can relate to what you're talking before about the, the pressures that founders feel in terms of always having to be on <clears throat> as you're growing your business, right? Because, uh, you know, it, it feels like at times that uh, you have to be you know constantly monitoring everything that the team that your your business is doing but then also being available to your clients um and so you know it kind of goes back to one of the the falsities that i think a lot of people have when they think about being a business owner where it's like oh, you know like i'm tired of of having a boss i want to be my own boss and stuff and the reality of it is when you're an entrepreneur is every client of yours is a boss now and you're trying <laughs> to answer to them right and so so true yeah it's just so much more and and so the stresses of, of always being on and being connected and being available um, are real uh, with, uh, with founders for sure. So I'm, I'm curious, like with you, your uh, routine yourself, because you're a founder um, and you're growing this business. What is it that you do? How do you address this yourself? Especially, you know, I know you have a family as well, and, and obviously you have everything else that comes along with that.
1: You know, the question is particularly timely, Lance, and I'll be very authentic with you that as a digital wellness organization, we're hyper aware that this is something that we're going through the stresses of being a startup and we're all about digital wellness. We have to walk the talk and sometimes that's a challenge. So we had a particularly um, timely conversation come up where I needed to fly out to visit another one of our co-founders to work out some ideas. And we were in three days of intense conversations But because we have this framework, we knew, okay, well, have intense conversation, go do something fun. Have an intense conversation, go do something fun. Another intense conversation. And then as the day went on, I started to get a headache. I was like, there's so many big ideas in my mind. And so my co-founder actually pulled me aside. She's like, Amy, try this. And she handed me... um, There's a pair of... goggle glasses, I, for lack of a better term to express. Um, that's actually started by a founder in Edmonton, um, Yume with uh, Ali and Sharman. And they they have this, it's a wearable that helps you to rest your eyes. You close your eyes and it'll either have warm or cold temperature on your eyes to kind of restore you. Oh, Take wow. a moment, of beep. be 15 minutes. I felt so refreshed. And then I could jump back into conversation. But I use that as a very tactical example because... A, I had an intervention, but B, I had a co-founder who supported me and said, hey, Amy, I don't want you to get a migraine. Let's take a beat. I'm going to empower you and give you permission to go do this. In fact, I'm going to tell you, go do it. (laughs) And I think that as co-founders, we can play that role for one another to see when somebody needs that help, to invite it, to have those moments where you can step in and say, we're going to be better together by taking... The pace a little bit slower, and we're going to get even more done in the end because we did that.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's really cool. I, I'm really glad to hear that you're walking the talk because it is difficult sometimes, even when you know uh, what you're supposed to be doing, to actually be implementing it, right?
1: Absolutely. And I feel that pressure. I feel it like in, in public as well, both as a speaker <laughs> and an individual who I have people who know that I'm the CEO of the Digital Wellness Institute. And so I feel like I have that accountability that people are watching and I have to behave myself constantly so <laughs> I think I better figure this out pretty soon
0: yeah <laughs> totally okay so let's talk a little bit more about your entrepreneurial journey so this isn't your first uh, business that you've been you know in a co-founding role in um, so I think you said the previous business was 11 years or more that you were working uh, in it and this one here, has really uh, been focused I guess since 2020, I think you said, right So right. so tell me a little bit about the, uh, the journey of transitioning from the other business and, and getting going with this one and starting it and, and growing it. So what, what does that journey look like for you and what are some of the, the challenges that you had transitioning from one to the next?
1: That's such a great question. So I have to go way back in history, because the first startup I was a part of uh, was a startup I started with my brother, and I never actually meant to start it, I kind of fell into it. And uh, at that point, my brother was the head teaching fellow of a course at Harvard called the science of happiness. And he began getting all of these talk requests for companies in the midst of the recession who wanted help bring in greater happiness to their employees. And I remember my brother coming to me and saying, Amy, I know you're in business school. Will you help me start a company? This is what I want to do. And I flat out told him, I thought it was a horrible idea and that it would never work. (laughs) But he talked to me, we talked through all the research, the science, the strategy, and I became convinced. And I said, okay, I'll help you. But just for two weeks, I've got other plans. I'm applying for this other job. And so I'll get you started. And then We'll go on from there. And 11 years later, I kind of laughed at myself because I was I just didn't see that fork in the road or the opportunity that that would turn into. But it led to this wild ride of massive growth. Um, I think it was the right topic, the right time, the right people. Mm -hmm. Um, And the opportunities just opened up as a result of it. I don't think that often happens with startups, so it 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 made it a little difficult going to second startup where <laughs> the first time it was a little bit too easy, and the second time um, it really required laying the brickwork so that we could build a solid foundation from the ground up. And I actually meant to start the second one, <laughs> so that's a difference. Um, I also was not working with family the second time, so there's a different dynamic that is both positive and negative when you're not working with family that you you build trust in different ways and i think that um we really took the time and energy to get to know one another find the right team and that took some that took some adjustment before we found the right team and once we did we knew we had it
0: excellent yeah and so talk to me a little bit more about you know when it's more intentional in terms of that startup <laughs> the the pressures that you felt there uh, you know, that were different than the pressures you were feeling uh, when everything just kind of fell together, I guess, in the previous uh, startup?
1: So I would say that the pressures I felt in the second one really came to a head. And it was an opportunity to be part of an accelerator program this past fall that helped us to go from concept and initial success to really getting strategic and building out the scaling plan. And that required a lot of iteration because I think when you you can see the opportunities, it's figuring out which one is the strongest, the lowest hanging fruit. Um, which one can you get the most traction with? And that um, that required some skill sets I didn't have previously. So as a founder, there was some learning curves, some knowledge gaps, and cliffs that I had to to climb and overcome to figure out. Um, to figure out what I didn't know before I could figure out what we did need to do. Yeah. So.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And one of the things that you mentioned to me before we hit the record button was just around self-doubts, um, you know, and, and trying to deal with the self-doubts that you maybe had as, uh, as a founder and, and as somebody trying to figure out, You know what the market needs and and how to do that product market fit and everything talk to me a little bit about navigating through self-doubt
1: so when we were accepted into the accelerator program we were meeting the other accelerator participants and anticipating meeting in person it was quite intimidating to see 19 other companies that were in different industries but very successful because as a founder, we are exceptional at positioning and making ourselves look bigger than we are. Right. Um, so meeting the other organizations, there was uh, imposter syndrome walking in, like, yes. do I belong here? Does this right fit? Um, after you get to know people and you hear their journey, I think that some of the, the wool comes off your eyes and you realize that everyone is, everyone is in this together and we're all facing different struggles, but we can support one another. I think The other second part that created a little bit of self-consciousness in the beginning of this was, I remember Alberta Innovates came and spoke to our accelerator program, and they showed this slide of a paper airplane that you throw, and the founder's journey is that the paper airplane gets thrown, it crashes, another one is thrown, it crashes, another one is thrown, and then eventually you begin to find your flight path and your, your airplane continues and as you're whether that's ideas or clients or funding every step along the way as a founder I feel that paper airplane and it makes you doubt in those gaps am I doing the right thing is this the right direction do I need to rethink everything do I need to go back to the drawing board and occasionally we did and other times we had to look each other in the eye and say no we've Thought this through. This is absolutely the direction we need to go. We just need to stay the course, and that that just takes time and energy to walk through that road.
0: Yeah, and and so this is the one thing that I think that really um, identifies or separates the um, successful entrepreneurs from the ones who struggle a little bit more is that adaptability the the ability to um, you, you know take market indicators or advisors. Uh, advice and, and, and then, you know, just really check it against your gut as well at the same time and, and then make those changes. And sometimes we'll get it right. Sometimes we don't, but the thing about it is it's about continuous iteration, right? As you're starting to grow and figure out, okay, well, what is it that I, you know, is the sweet spot here for my particular business without sacrificing at the same time, the purpose and the intention behind what it is that you're trying to create as well, Uh, because sometimes we can get, uh, you know, led astray a little bit by, you know, certain market indicators or advice. Right. So um, how do you, like with the co-founder, I'd imagine that makes it a little bit easier to, to try to, because you're kind of holding your each other kind of accountable to that, or at least challenging each other um, and, and doing that um, um, I, I guess, collaboration in terms of of figuring out what the right direction is. But is there any secrets there, Um, any tips, any advice that you can give other entrepreneurs who are at that point right now in their journey?
1: Well, I know a lot of organizations won't fund startups that are solo founders. And I think I understand why now. And it's Mm -hmm. that very dynamic you're talking about, which is that you have somebody to reinforce or check or reaffirm. Um, I think the temptation if you're a solo founder is to craft a vision and then hang on to it, you know tooth and nail so that nobody sways your vision and instead, I think that process of maintaining the vision but constant iteration on the vision is something that takes a team vision to really be able to see the three sixty around the environment, the people the the uh, economy, all of those pieces that come together it's too much for one person. So unless you have an stellar advisory board, um, I really highly recommend a co-founder or co-founders
0: yeah. 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 And so on the flip side of that, uh, so I'm a single founder, um, but, and I've also, you know, very much felt like, man, it would be so much better if I had a partner. Um, and I'm really envious of people who do, um, for various reasons, but just, a, for the, for the one thing is to be, you know, in the trenches with somebody who's experiencing the same things that you're experiencing. So you're not, you know, isolated in, in a lot of respect there. And so, um, what, would you consider to be some of the challenges or the downsides that come along with being, uh, in a co-founder situation? If you have experienced any, I guess that is.
1: There definitely are. I mean, every time you add uh, an additional individual with their personality and their insecurities and their vision, it requires more conversation and more alignment. And sometimes that doesn't come together. And so, of course, you hear lots of stories of, um, times when co-founder situations don't work out. I've had a, I've had a couple of those. I did have a, um, organization that I founded in between my brother's company and the current one I'm at that we wound up actually shutting down. It didn't last very long. And it was because of co-founder issues. Uh, we just couldn't find the traction to really get off the ground. Mm-hmm. And so I think that, um, I'm I'm grateful in the end because it wasn't the right fit and it wasn't the right alignment. And that's the very kind of dynamic that as people change, life circumstances shift, um, the amount of time and energy people can give to different initiatives uh, either needs to be flexible or, or it needs to be a, a decision point in which people move to the next place in their career.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. Now, one of the things that you mentioned before we hit the record button was also around um, you know, the funding model that you were, um, you know, exploring and and whether or not you were going to go down the road of, of bringing in investors or if you were going to self-fund and and so on. So can you walk me through some of those decisions? Because I think in terms of most expectations, when you hear about people, uh, you know, with startups in the tech industry in particular, it's oftentimes, uh, you know, they're looking for that big you know, seed round and then some other rounds of investment and and really scaling and, and growing rapidly and and having some big exit at the end of all of that. Um, but I understand your approach is maybe a little bit different. So walk me through your uh, thought processes as you were trying to figure out the funding side of your business.
1: Absolutely. So you're right. In the beginning, we saw ourselves just like every tech startup with venture funding, 30 time return and really uh, massive growth. And the reason was because we know that digital wellness is a very timely topic. We also know we have a first mover advantage and we feel like there is a very fine window in which the rules of the future of work are getting rewritten. And we wanted to be part of the new rules. So for us, that meant we need to scale fast to get there and going into the accelerator program we thought that was going to be the ticket hone the message find the funders find the pilot clients and let's go and instead what happened is over the course of the program and um, some great advice along the way we realized that maybe we were more of a lifestyle company and that was hard to hear i wanted to be the venture funded at least the angel funded it's easier to scale. It's easier to grow, uh, to have somebody write you a check and then you can magically have marketing budget infinitely easier than the route we were going, which was that we bootstrapped from $30 in the checking account to our first $200,000. And then to see a a horizon in the future that that was going to be a slow, slow slog for the next 10 years is hard to swallow. Yeah, But if that was the model we were going for, and that was the mission we wanted, thought, okay, this is if we're going to come back to the value that we're creating, and this is the way to create it. Okay, we're going to do it, especially knowing that the markets were were on the decline. But we also held out and we said, if if an angel comes and wants to drop money in our lap, and they're the right person, we will entertain it, of course. (laughs) And that's exactly what's happened. And honestly, looking back, I think that the process of being willing to step away for the right reasons was the very thing that helped us find the funder in the end and i think that if we had just held to money 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 and you know scale 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 without the product we wouldn't have been ready to do anything with the funding that we hope will be coming our direction soon and even now, I feel like the groundwork is just on the cusp of being ready for that next scale growth, and that's what the funders looking for in the end. So, yeah. founder sales, founder vision, and um, and actual products is what got us there.
0: Yeah, and. And I think what I like about this story, too, is that you really stayed true to the purpose of the business, right? Because I think a lot of people will get distracted by that, you know, big 30 times uh, return and and investment and so on. Um, and, And they'll let that become the kind of the purpose of what it is that they're doing is their, their purpose is to grow a a massive business as opposed to the purpose being the business itself and what you're trying to accomplish or the problems you're trying to solve. Right. And so um, that's what I really like about, about that is you were able to kind of focus back on, well, this is the purpose we want to grow. This as something that's going to help and support uh, their businesses and organizations as they navigate through this very you know troublesome i think place in which we're at right now in uh, this period of time and so um kudos to you for working through that and i agree i think that that just makes sense then that that attracts the funding once you get that part of it the foundation of your why really in place
1: absolutely and you know there are funders out there who will fee- who will fund a precede start a venture based on only an idea or based on yeah. the leadership team. Um, but I've seen it more often than not that funders fund because they see the traction and that the founders have been able to sell enough to give confidence that this is ready to scale and it's got the right product market fit. And yeah. and it's it's a finite zero sum game in that place as founders, you only have so much time in the day. So if you're spending all your time fundraising, you're not spending it on the product development or the sales. So which one, which one do you want to lean into at which point?
0: Yep. Yeah, exactly. And uh, so it's prioritizing those elements, right? Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So um, now if you had the ability to you know, send a letter back to your younger entrepreneurial self, you've been in these uh, multiple ventures. And, And so you've learned a lot along the way. And I would imagine you have some advice for that, you know, young entrepreneurial Amy. What would you put in that letter? What advice would you give to yourself?
1: One of the very first ventures I started was actually I tried to form a foundation to help um, create a a new model for families to teach children about funding. Um, So it wasn't a for-profit. It was a foundation. And I poured so much of my heart into that mission and the vision and the setup for the organization. And then the recession hit and all funding went specifically to organizations that were doing first line, like the Red Cross got Lots of funding, but family philanthropy was the last thing on people's mind. And so I had to shut down the idea. It was the wrong time. Great idea, wrong time. And I think looking back, if I could send myself a letter, it would be to not take that so personally, but to mm. hold the idea and wait for the right timing. Um Because not every idea is for right now, and it's not always ready to come into light. Some things take a longer gestation period, and that's okay. Not taking it personally, but continuing to grow and learn from that experience.
0: Wow. Great advice. I really, really like that. Yeah, really cool. Well, thank you, Amy. I really appreciate you sharing, you know, your story and then some words of wisdom. And I think what you're doing is just such a powerful thing that all organizations really need to think about as they're navigating through, you know, some relatively new and uncharted territory. Um, and uh, if they do it right, it's going to have significant impact on the people, which is super important. And then obviously, on the bottom line of the business too, which is, which is also important as, as founders and entrepreneurs ourselves. So um, if anybody wanted to connect with you learn more about what it is that you're doing, what would be the best way for them to do that?
1: Connecting with me at digitalwellnessinstitute.com. If you email the contact form there, you will actually get a real human being um, and I will respond to you. So I would love to connect and uh, to share lessons learned or share and commiserate on some of the challenges of being founders. But I believe that, um, that there's so much opportunity out there and there's so much need for all of these great ideas. So I want to encourage you.
0: Yeah. No. So thank you very much for that. And for everybody who's listening to this, if you really enjoyed this episode and you want to check out, you know, some of the other interviews we've done, head over to amplifyyourbusiness.ca. That's where you're going to find the archives. And of course, you can find us on all the major podcasting platforms by just searching Amplify Your Business. Until next time, everybody have a prosperous day. And thank you again, Amy. I really appreciate you taking the time. today.